Hi, I'm James, and this is James Explores the New Mutants, an issue-by-issue exploration of Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants. Welcome to episode number 29, entitled Fear Itself, in which I'll be examining issue number 25. With Rain and Bobby's lives hanging in the balance, will Tandy Bowen and Tyrone Johnson return to help our heroes, or is all lost? Stay tuned and you'll find out. Welcome back. So let's not hesitate. Let's start with the creative team. Uh, obviously, Chris Claremont is writing. Uh, we have Bill Sienkiewicz still right, doing the art for the book. Uh, lettering is done by Orzechewski. And his wife, Bahalis, uh, Louise Bahalis. Um, the colorist is Glynis Wynn. And editors Ann Nascenti, and editor-in-chief is Jim Shooter. So that's the creative team. Um, there is a point in this book where it comes uh, pretty clear that uh, we have the two letters. Um, it's, it's distinctive. Um, Orzechewski's lettering is, is different than his wife's. And um, <clears throat> not only is it interesting that these two have put together work on this this book and other books in this series, uh, that's pretty amazing. But the question is, why? And so there's a couple things I can come up with. There's nothing I've found that is concrete. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to continue to try to research this, see if I can figure out if there is a concrete answer to it, but but I, I'm not 100% sure. Um, now, I in some of the research I have done, uh, people have suggested that some of the panels um well let's just let's just start over okay so Zinkevich, he's a fantastic artist and he's doing something with the new mutants at this time in the 1980s 1982 1984 you know 1984 i think is when this was published um sorry 1985 but in the time that he's on the title Right as he's the artist, as he's the main artist on the book, he's experimenting. He's really pushing the boundaries of what has been done in comics before. Now, it is suggested by you know I think it's Gentlemen of Leisure. They did a review um, of this of this series of Newman's complete series. Uh, it's one of the sources I like to look at to read through before I I you know, put up an episode just to get some other insights. Um, but anyways, one of the things that was suggested about the last issue is that Zinkevich may have been getting a little bored. Some of the panels, like, they don't offer a lot for an artist, right? So it's like Tandy and uh, Tyrone wandering around New York. So what is there to draw besides a mass of people and two people standing around, walking around, meandering through the city? Right, most of what's going to be happening is going to occur in the dialogue in those situations. Sometimes you're going to get some facial opportunities to really express, be expressive through facial feature and body language. But in those scenes with Tandy and Tyrone, uh, no, not really at all. So if that's the case, and he is getting bored, um, is it possible that the art came in late? Maybe. I mean, I haven't heard anything about that, like. <clears throat> Usually when there's an issue with late 
work coming in, somebody's talking about it, right? Like it would, it would mark, like issues would be late to the newsstand, to the comic stores, somebody would complain about that, or a letterer would complain, a colorist, or somebody along the line, Chris Claremont might complain, um, but that doesn't seem to be the case here. What else could have happened? Um, it's entirely possible that maybe there was a request for a story to be changed, edited. That could have come from Ann Nascenti. It could have come from Jim Shooter. Now, if either of these things happened, somebody like Orzechewski, who is working on this and the X-Men at the time, and probably other titles, if he'd already gone through and edited, lettered it, and something was requested to be changed, he may be on to something else. So he might not be available to make the change necessary. Those are, the two, those are a couple reasons I could think that, that would cause us to have two letters. Because it's not like half the book was lettered by him and half the book by her. Instead, it's like a couple panels here and there where it's different lettering than Orzechewski's normal lettering. So that's my suggestion. That's my, my, my thought, is that there was a change or something occurred that required that there was a Chesky just didn't, Tom just didn't have time to go back and do the lettering. And so, the, so his wife did, who was also, you know, a fantastic letterer at Marvel and DC. Like, it's not like she's not capable of doing it. Um, so with that out of the way, I'm going to try to post some panels to, that really show that. Um, on the, as mentioned, so you guys can all take a look at that and see what I'm talking about. Uh, but let's not hesitate. Let's let's dive right in. So this very first page picks up right where the last issue left off. It's as though they took the panel with Tandy and uh, Ty Johnson returning uh, to St. Anne's and put it right here and superimposed on a splash page. So. In this panel, we and this splash, we have their faces superimposed here, and we see Tyrone. We read his dialogue. He says, "If you're going to sacrifice anyone, sir, it should be us." And so we have picked up right where we left off, and we get a quick explanation of what's going on from Claremont through some narration, and we quickly find out that Tandy and Tyrone, uh, yes, they may be free of what they consider to be a curse of cloak and dagger but that it comes at too high a cost. They had, they had basically dubbed themselves the protector of children in New York City. They fought drug dealers and all these other criminals that preyed on the youth of New York. And now they're in a position where they can no longer have the power to really help those people. And furthermore, their freedom from what they consider the curse of cloak and dagger comes at the pr- a price that's too high. Right, because Rain and Roberto are two of the youngest members of the New Mutants, and they're essentially kids. So they're being inflicted. They're the ones who now possess the powers of Cloak and Dagger, and they're the ones who are suffering. And that's just too much. Cloak and Dagger, Tandy and Tyrone, are unwilling to to have them pay the price of pay that price for them. So they they have returned to basically try to set this right. They don't know what they can do, but they're going to try. That's what they've decided. 
So we turn the page, we see the next page. It's a great reunion between her Tandy Bowen and Father Bowen. We find out in this issue that Father Bowen is Tandy's uncle. So they're overjoyed to see each other, and we see a really beautiful two-page splash. Not a lot of action, but we got um, all the characters that are going to be involved in this issue all right here, and they're all introduced. We already know who Tandy are. We know who Tyrone is. We're getting that filled out to us through uh, the narration and the dialogue that we're seeing here. And then we get... uh, on the next page, essentially, is Sam Guthrie, Rain, uh, Professor Xavier, uh, Roberto, Ileana, and Rogue. And they all have dialogue boxes above their head, identifying who they are. Right? We've figured out who uh, everyone's here there for. It's because Rain and Roberto are suffering from whatever has possessed them, essentially. Find out who Danny and... Uh, Sam are, they're both leaders of the New Mutants, um, co-leaders. It tells us a little bit about it, a lot about Ileana, actually, uh, telling us that she's a sorcerer, demon sorcerer, and she has the ability to teleport. Uh, she doesn't feel comfortable in the House of God. All that was from last issue, we figured out, uh, about the House of God thing. Uh, and we find out that she had an impromptu attempt just before they had returned, Cloak and Dagger, uh, to cure her teammates of their afflictions that had near disastrously fatal results for her. And then we see Rogue, and it tells us she's a senior member of the uh, X-Men. So these seven mutants, and this is great. I just really like how Claremont puts this. Um, So I'm just going to read this narration because it tells us, it's such a great synopsis of what mutants are. Um, These seven are mutants whose unique Genetic structures grant them extraordinary powers, but also set them them forever apart from their fellow humanity. In this way, they are just like Cloak and Dagger, through no fault of their own, by accident of birth or of fate. All are outcasts, with no one to turn to, none to depend on, but themselves. So, I mean, it's just really, really, uh, I just really like that. It's perfect. Such a Claremont thing to do. Way to describe it. So, the next page we find out it. It's really this this issue, if more than anything else, is about Cloak and Dagger. This whole arc is about Cloak and Dagger. It's like Claremont took some characters that were in desperate need of some depth and some uh, con. You know, just something more than just kids beating up criminals like some nuance and he created that he breathed some life into these characters i appreciate it and there's going to be a big reason why and that's coming up but uh and that i'll get into later but i'm just going to kind of go through what this what what happens here so with introductions done tandy's just overjoyed to see her uncle she wants her uncle to know that tyrone is one of her best friends is her best friend um that she's really close to him, she really likes him, she really cares about him. And as she's introducing the two of them, he just kind of, bl- Tyrone just kind of blows him off. Um, and she asks, what's the matter? You know, he says hi really curtly and doesn't have much to say. He's really sullen and just not happy to be there. And she asks, what's the matter? Um, why, and why he's asking, acting so hostile. And he tells her, everything's fine. And she says, no, it's not. 
you know, really pushing the issue. And he says, he yells at her at this point. He just really straight lashes out at her. He says, get off my case, girl. How I feel, what I do about it ain't none of your business. And he, and he makes it, you know, he balls his hand up into a fist and he, and he just pretty much storm, sulks off. I want to say storms off. He says he's out of there um, and he just wants to be left alone. And <clears throat> her uncle, Tandy's uncle, takes her to the side and she's upset. She's crying. Um, this didn't go well. And he knows it. Tyrone knows this. He is quite aware that he's dropped the ball and that he is terrified. He he doesn't want to be cloak anymore, but he doesn't and he doesn't want to be human. He's he's lost. He's really lost himself. He hates life and he hates himself and he hates cloak and he hates everything. He's he and he and he doesn't think that he deserves to have anyone care about him or he doesn't deserve to care about or love Tandy and he he pretty much tells us through his thoughts that he hates himself. Um and as he's sulking the corner, a shadow begins to build around him. Right? He is very downtrodden and terrified. And all of this, all of this, I need to say this before I move on, is conveyed brilliantly through the art. Um, one of the reasons I love Sienkiewicz is the thing that brought me full circle head on to like just falling for him head over heels is the way his art paired with Claremont's writing conveys emotion like in ways that I don't think the house style can. Now, a talented artist doing house style at Marvel at the time could definitely convey emotion through facial expressions. Don't get me wrong, body language, all of that. But there is something that can be done with this more abstract style that house style never can accomplish. And if we look at two panels on this page, we see one of Tyrone yelling at Tandy, his face is shrouded and he's turned away from us. But just through the the way his body language, um, his face is covered in shadow, and through the ex- extra aesthetics on the page, we know that he is yelling at Tandy. We know that he is upset. And we can kind of start to tell that he's scared. And the way his arm is posed in the next panel and the aesthetics around his arm, that art around his arm, tells us that he is quivering. There are ways to do that in House Style 2, but it comes across beautifully here. And this is something that he does time and time again in, the, in, the, in these books that I just love. It's just his style is stunningly beautiful. I think it, and I think it fits these stories. Um, so anyways, back to Cloak and Dagger. What's going on? Why, why is Tyrone so upset? Well, he's sulking. He sulks in the corner. He is downtrodden. He has blown up by Tandy. He knows he's made her cry. He doesn't want to do that. He's lashed out. He's using his anger, to this anger at her, to cover up his fears. And his fears are reasonable. But all of this is done in an effort to push people away, the people he cares about away. Um... You know, he's he's essentially just slumps into the corner and is swallowed up in shadow uh, that is getting growing around him. And uh, he's collapsed inward. 
and he's he's thinking to himself about how the power of cloak made him someone. He didn't he didn't stutter then. Now, without that, he's just himself, and his self is somebody he doesn't care about. You know, and he and he thinks about how he's such a gutless wimp. He was a fool, he thinks, that uh, Tandy would even have any interest in him. It was craziness that made him think that he deserved her, he thinks, and that he doesn't even deserve himself. And during this moment, his bitterness and self-hatred just continues to swell within him. And around him, the parlor, refractory parlor in the, in the church, that's the place where they're at, is filled with light. But the shadow grows around him. And it gathers, it just kind of like swallows him up. It consumes from within and with, from without. Almost worth it if it were like alive and aware. Meanwhile, the rest of the, the New Mutants and Xavier are talking about the situation at hand. They're, they're trying to figure out a solution to this problem. And, and it really starts with Ileana. Uh, so we get Xavier really rehashing the last issue with Ileana. Again, he's doing it. Uh, and that's in part to fill in to catch readers up. Uh, we get a flashback panel of what Ileana did in Limbo. And we get... Uh, So we get that flashback panel, and uh, Xavier, since he can't read her mind like he did with Danny and uh, Sam earlier in the last issue, he's going to have to have her just tell him because he he's not able to read her mind due to certain things that happened to Limbo and ma- the magical essence within her, uh, the demonic maybe in, uh, essence within her. Either way, his thought, he cannot read her mind. It is blocked to him. So she tells him exactly what happened, that she had tried to do an exorcism spell, it backfired, it almost killed her, essentially. And as he takes this all in and hears her story, he begins to start to piece some things together. He, he, he ends up, he eventually, when it's all said and done, he says that's, that it's fascinating. Um, and that he, he's fairly certain at this point that the darkness and this light, these two things, whatever they are, these you know essences can't exist, one can't exist without the other. They're the yin and the yang. They're balanced. So where the light is reactive, the shadow is active, right? And so one balances the other. So without the light, the shadow is overwhelming and all-consuming. With the light, it checks the shadow. And so uh, there's a duality that exists. And in acting in partnership, it's it's what keeps it in check. Um, and he, he talks about wanting to really look at it further. He, he wants to, you know, he needs to study this. So he's talking about taking everyone back. The Cloak and Dagger, Tandy Bowen and Tyrone Johnson, Rain and Roberto back to the mansion and, and really looking them over and examining them so that he can figure out what's going on and thus be certain that anything they attempt will will work uh, because if they're not certain somebody you know could cause great injury or and someone could end up dead 
Uh, but Danny points out that that's not going to work. They don't have that kind of time. Roberto's not doing well. He's fading. Uh, and and he's in agony. It's just the, the, this, the, the shadow force within him is consuming him. It's destroying him. And he, he and Roberto pipes up. And he says, she's right, senor. I can't control my hunger much longer. It's like an animal inside me, almost more than I can bear. And they they realize that if they wait, you know, they're going to lose Roberto for certain. And if that happens, no one really knows what will happen. They'll be too late, obviously, for Roberto, but what that will mean in the grander scheme, it's unknown. So they don't have time to be certain of success. Meanwhile, in a far corner, Tyrone uh, has collapsed into a chair, and he's sulking. He's lost in self-pity. This darkness is growing around him from within him, um, and he just continues to feed this, this darkness, this pity and fear and all of that. And uh, he's thinking about his friend, his best friend, and how he died. He died uh, when he was shot by... Uh, you know, by, I think, a, a gang member. And Tyrone really sees that as his fault. And the reason that is is because Tyrone, as a human, with, with a normal human without his cloak, cloak abilities, has this horrible stutter. And so he saw his friend. He was, saw his friend was going to get shot, and he tried to call out to save his friend, but the words just wouldn't come out of his mouth. And his friend was shot and killed, and he blames himself. He blames himself for that. And now he's confronted with what's happening to Roberto, and he sees that is his fault too. It's something that he should have been able to stop or prevent, but he wasn't strong enough or capable. And now someone else is suffering because he failed. That's exactly how he sees this situation, and he's using that to beat himself up. And... He's also begun to think that had he even the ability to save Roberto, or even if they can figure out a way for it to be done for Roberto to be saved, he's not sure that he's brave enough. He's too much of a coward to to do what's necessary to save Roberto's life. And he doesn't know what to do. Now, Xavier has noticed the struggle from across the room, and he uses his mind, his telepathy, to call, to talk uh, to to Tyrone from across the room. Um, and Tyrone hears his voice in his head, and and he and he is surprised by this. He says, "He, you know," and and the Xavier tells him, "I'm a telepath," and um, he tells him. You've nothing to fear, lad. I've given you, given my word. I will not pry into your thoughts. I merely wish to talk with you. And Tyrone's response is great. It just makes me want to smack my head because I just don't quite understand it. Um, and he says, it's a free country, man. And so we, I've talked a little bit about consent with Xavier. I've probably spent a lot of time on it. And in these last issues, we've really seen Xavier trying to make 
make it clear that he's asking for consent to read somebody's, to enter somebody's mind, to read their thoughts. And essentially he's done that here with Tyrone. Now Tyrone's saying it's a free country, you know, traipse around in my head all you want. No big deal. Like that's you, man. Like that's your personal like space. (laughs) It's not a free area in my, that's just my opinion. Your body, your rights, dude. And uh, if you want to tell him to go F himself, uh, you should be able to do that. So I don't buy this whole, like, it's a free, it's a free country uh, thing he's saying. Um, but anyways, <clears throat> he, he tells him he feels stupid that he's talking to a ghost. Because uh, Xavier's projected himself uh, a- astrally. And Xavier's retort is, you know, is it more, you know, it's no more absurd than Tyrone than a young man made of shadows or a woman of light. Uh, and he, you know, and so they, and so he takes the time to speak. Um, and there's another great panel here of Ileana reacting to uh, Tyrone. She sees the shadow has grown up around him. And Xavier says, um, um, that it's, Ileana says it's, it's the shadow, it's, the corners become so shadowy, and I sense an eldritch chill. And Xavier suspects that Tyrone is not completely free of cloak, his powers as cloak, as Tyrone thinks he is. Um, and... In this panel, we also get Xavier telling her, finally telling Eliana that, hey, this is to plan. You know, I'm going to talk to him. We're not in any danger, so please don't interfere. So that's good. We've improved from last issue where Xavier didn't tell uh, Eliana anything of the plan and just assumed she'd get it. Um, so that's good. <laughs> but here, this, this, this panel and the last panel are examples of two different lettering styles. So I think the panel of Ileana and Xavier just speaking to one another, uh, where he tells her, I suspect Tyrone is not free of the power of his powers as he believes. At the moment, however, do not think or I he or I are any are in any real danger. You may keep watch, but do not interfere. That is a panel that is not the same uh lettering as the others in this issue. So this is the film, this is the edition of, this is a panel that, for whatever reason, was done by uh, Orzechewski's wife, I believe. And for whatever reason, uh, and my guess is that there was something that happened that caught it, that, that made it have to be redone. Um, whether that was because of deadline issues or because of editorial mandate, I don't know, um, but uh, yeah, this is this is where the lettering is different than Orzechewski's, so uh, there you go, and I will try to find this panel and another panel to give that, to give you a comparison so you can see the difference. Um, anyways, we continue. Um, so, Xavier continues his conversation with Tyrone, and Tyrone's like, hey, your students say you know everything. And he says, well, that's an exaggeration. He says, well, if you don't, Tyrone's like, well, if you don't, then how can you really help me? And Xavier basically gives him a long, just talks with him. He just tells him about his childhood, about how 
what it was like when he first manifested his abilities. And he talks about being a kid and when it first happened, his stepbrother was in the other room, Kane Marco. A lot of you will know who Kane Marco is. That's the juggernaut, uh, sworn enemy of Xavier. Well, when they were kids and Xavier first manifested his abilities, his his stepbrother, Kane had been beaten horribly by their stepfather, by his stepfather, right? And was in his room sulking and just like suffering. And Xavier could feel it. He could, re- that's when he first manifested his abilities. The, the sheer pain and agony that, that Tyrone, that Marco was feeling, he felt. And the more he tried to help Marco, the more, the deeper he got pulled into Marco's mind. And Marco realized he was there and he came to hate Xavier because of it. Because he knew the shame and all the disgusting vitriol that was inside him. And that violation is what really caused their riff. And he's never forgiven him for it. Now that's Xavier's side of the story. So, you know, Xavier's got a cuss. It's pretty good about making himself look better than he he sometimes is. Anyways, point being, Xavier wanted to point out that, like, people are fully capable of violence and vitriol because they're passionate. And for a long time, the only thing Xavier knew was that he was, uh, you know, initially was overwhelmed by all the sensations coming into him and that he lived in that house with all this pain and suffering. It was commonplace. It was something that was so natural. But when he learned to control his abilities... He realized that there's a whole world that could be different than that. Um, so, uh, as they discuss this, Xavier's just trying to uh, help him get an understanding that um, the only thing that helped him get past his fear. Uh, the long time, for a long time, for Xavier, it was fear to use his psi abilities because he was afraid of what he'd see, what he'd learn. But he overcame that. Um, he didn't, you know, it was a fear of what would, you know, what he would learn and what what it, he might be showing from his psi talents. And Tyrone, he's taken all this in, and he just, he's like, so are you trying to tell me that, is he, you know, he, he asks Xavier if what he means is that it's not his powers that are evil, but it's the fear that's making it evil. And Xavier's like, I can't answer that for you, but the fear isn't helping. It's, it's probably only made things worse. Um, so... You know, he Tyrone's not super impressed with this. He he he's upset. He's he's tells him, you know, that you're you're way off. You know, you're telling me the shadow's winning because of fear. It's gaining control of me. And if if I didn't have this fear, I could hold it back. Um, and and Xavier says, you know, fear gave you an edge. Fear of what you are. What fear gave it an edge. Sorry of what you are, what you were becoming, of losing Tandy. And he yells at him, leave her out of this. She is a part of it. She's a part of you, Tyrone. And no matter how hard you try to deny it, so important, you cannot bear to even think about her. 
think you cannot bear to even think about her. What is that if not fear? And so they're really getting to a point where Tyrone's confronted by fear, fear of what he doesn't have, what he's going to lose, what he's not, right? That he's just never going to be enough. And they begin to point out to him that he's like, you know, if he can't master his fear, if he can't overcome that, he's going to be controlled by this darkness within him. And this is a beautiful allegory, I think. And, you know, I know a lot of people are like, well, this, this, this issue is overrun by Cloak and Dagger. These last couple issues, it's a it's Cloak and Dagger story with New Mutants supporting cast, and it's, it is. I think that's 100% true. And why Claremont was willing to do this, who knows? Maybe it was editorial mandate. You know, uh, maybe they're trying to revive some characters, you know, so you throw some characters into an X book, you relaunch a title off of it. You know, I don't know. I don't know. That... It's as good an explanation as any, I think. Uh, but the thing is, I, I like what Claremont's pushing at here. That fear, it's a, it's a pretty strong emotion. And, you know, whatever you think, you know, I, I, I hesitate. I mean, I think you can look at our political climate. And, I mean, I have certain views. I'm not going to expound on those uh, whether my listeners whether you listeners out there in the ether have the same views as me is irrelevant like I don't need to turn this into a political podcast so I'm not gonna but the point is I think both political parties at times are guilty of using fear to uh, turn out the vote um, it's everywhere you know, and I, I only have to look in my everyday life to see fear. Um, and this this speaks so strongly to me um, for, for lots of different reasons. Uh, personal reasons, extremely personal reasons. Um, you know, for a long time, fear ruled my life. Uh, and, you know, it's it's only through, you know, some the help of people that are really, really amazing and, you know, other resources that I've been able to really do something different uh, and trust that, that there's something that'll get me through this stuff. And uh, so through that, right, like that fear is the first thing, but if I do some things to take to work through it, I, I don't have to be controlled by fear. And like that's what we're getting at with Tyrone Johnson Tyrone Johnson's character here is that fear, when he's just operating with that, he's functioning in this selfish state of delusion and self-interest and uh really doing damage to everyone and everything around him. We saw him doing that at the beginning of the story, where he's yelling at Tandy, trying to, you know, force her to leave him before uh, you know, to leave him because he doesn't see himself as enough. Um, he he doesn't want to have to make a decision. Uh, he finds himself in the corner and buries his head rather than confront the issue at hand. We see it time and time again with his character. And here, as he's talking with Xavier, as he's talking to Tandy, as he's going through all of this, he's no longer studying, stuttering. And, you know, all of this has come up 
and Xavier's having him look at it, and Tandy comes over, and she's like, you know, you, you're not always afraid. You, you think you are. You think you're a coward. But, you know, when we were escaping from uh, Ellis Island, the Ellis Island, uh, they were being shot at, and he, and he you know... You know, he 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 basically kept her alive. You know, they they had to swim across the you know, across the uh, they had to swim. He encouraged her to swim. He just kept pushing her, and he was the brave one. He's the one that got him through that situation. You know, and he and he tells her, you know, it was easy to be brave uh, when people are shooting at you, and her fa- her uncle. Candy's uncle says, hey, you know, that's, uh, you know, basically tells him he was in war and he knows that's not true. And basically they're really trying to just point out to Tyrone that like, this is, you know, you, you can stand up to this. You do have it in you. You're not a coward. You're not a, a, a coward that can't, you know, y- you know, that you're they're capable and Sam points out to him that he hasn't been stuttering this whole time and and then he does start to stutter again and you know it's oh it's so so amazing because uh, this mirror is something I uh, yeah it's just it's so beautiful it's just really beautiful right like that every just like you don't make a choice one one in one moment you don't decide well fear is no longer a part of my life and then go on with your life, never experiencing fear. That's not realistic. And we see that here with the, what happens. We see that, you know, he begins to stutter again. And, uh, but everyone, he realizes at this point that everyone around him believes in him, which gives him courage, right? He is supported and not alone. And that's, that's one big way to overcome fear, right, is, is by being open and sharing and talking and being supported by the community and friends around you. It helps you to be buoyed, and he is buoyed here by the people in the room. But again, like I said, he started stuttering, and he, he, he realizes that. You know, and he... And he you know, tells Xavier that. And Xavier reassures him. He's like, you know, you've made a beginning, Tyrone. Perhaps the most important step is the start, right? He's acknowledged that this is his thing. He's confronted it and he started. And even if you slip back, it's, you've already started it. So it's, it's not lost. It's not lost. Um, and so, while they were talking with Tyrone, Xavier tells Ileana he's been reviewing the situation. And he's got a plan. And they're going to have to go to Limbo. And so Ileana teleports him to Limbo. And it's one, I really like this panel of her stepping disc. And like everyone's kind of like slipping into what almost looks like water. It's it's great. Great depiction of her stepping disc. Uh, and Rain's super not comfortable with this. She she doesn't like the idea of going to limbo. Um, and you know, she she says uh, 
she's experienced Tyrone's teleporting, and this is uh, is uh, isn't unpleasant, but Limbo is pretty nasty, wicked place, and. <laughs> Uh, Danny's got a great uh, call out to Star Wars here, um, A New Hope. She says, Firetop's right, Ty. You'll never find a more loathsome hive of scum and villainy. And Sam's response is, Danny, jeez. I just love it. It's so great. Um, and the priest, he begins praying. So they arrive in limbo, and Xavier has Danny and Sam basically posted as guards. He's going to need Rogue, and he can't, you know, those are only two available. And so they're going to basically keep anything that broaches at bay because Limbo's full of icky, horrible things. And um, he starts. He has Rogue, so thankfully she she came with because he's going to need her abilities. So he helps her control her powers. Well, he can't read her mind, similar to the way he can't read Eliana's, he is able to help her. Uh, focus her powers and so she has her touch rain and absorb the light from her but not everything else so just the dagger powers so she basically pulls that into rogue ends up taking on dagger's abilities and uh, that's shared between her and xavier and so the next step is Ileana's going to try to bind Roberto. Well, he panics, and the hunger from within him, the shadow, is released, and it assaults Ileana and basically begins to try to envelop her. She summons her soul sword and is able to cut herself free, and at that point, Tyrone, just as a human, attacks the shadow and begins to wrestle with it. And he's not sure he can do this. And the shadow was also taunting him, telling him he's a fool for trying this. And he's starting to think that that's right. But, you know, he, he's not sure he should have made the effort that maybe this is pointless. Maybe he's not capable of fighting or helping here. He doesn't really think he's got a prayer. But then he was reminded, you know, that's not true. Sam's right. I'm still scared, but I can fight. I won't give up. And... In that moment, with with Roberto as the shadow form is d- distracted by Tyrone pinned to the ground, Rogue's able to jump on top of him and absorb the power uh, of the darkness, the shadow from within Roberto. She's able to take that on as well. And Roberto's collapses the ground and Sam gets him free. Now, if we remember the panel of Ileana when she had both powers enveloping her body, we see Rogue in the same same transformation, the black stripes and the white stripes alternating. And, you know, her, she and Xavier are both struggling to maintain this power in, within them. And um, Rogue basically takes Tandy and Tyrone's hands, and they're going to try to exercise these abilities from Rogue and Xavier into... Tandy and Tyrone. So they're going to do the exact same thing that Ilian had tried earlier, but this time, instead of trying to destroy the light and the darkness, Ilian is going to funnel them into human vessels. That's what she didn't have last time. That's why those powers tried to take her all, tried to possess her body. And so she casts her ex- exorcism spell, and um, Tyrone, Michael Bowen, Father Bowen, and 
uh, Rain and Roberto, all they can do is basically pray at this point and hope that everything works out. Um, and Ileana casts her exorcism. And, you know, just some just great Claremontisms here. We got this panel of just wonderfulness. Uh, she seems like a child no longer, nor ever remotely human. And Rain is not the only one who wonders if there's they're looking at a devil incarnate. As Ileana gl- glows with the arcane power that is black magic being turned to a purpose of good in a voice like rolling thunder in words that are not so much heard as seen and felt, she envelops Xavier and the others in a cocoon of energy and completes the spell. St. Anne's. Back on Earth, everyone's been teleported back, and the, the it's been successful. The exorcism was successful. Ileana has freed uh, Rain and Roberto of these forces, and she completes a scan with using her sorceress abilities to check for any other uh, magical uh, anything magical about them. And Xavier also did a side scan, and they both think that. There's nothing left that they they got him they cured him um and uh Father Bowen's shocked either one of them is still awake. Sam's sleeping in a chair, he's exhausted himself, and uh Ileana and and xavier are 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 seem to be not phased. He's shocked by that now cloak and dagger both return and and they're in cloak and dagger i mean they're cloak and dagger again they're Tyrone Johnson's cloak and dagger is or, or Tandy is Tandy Bowen is is dagger again, and uh, you know Xavier says, "Hey, come back with me. You know we can we can work with you. We can help you. Let me help you." And and they turn him down. They they don't think that that's the best idea. They've got kids that they got to help on the streets, and and that's where they needed. And so that's where they're gonna go. And Cloak's concerned too that Roberto's you know. You know, well, he's faced his fears. He thinks Roberto's going to need some help. You know, his fears gathered him up, and they ran away. And that's evident by the power that the shadow had over him, right? That that Roberto was no better at, was even worse, you could argue, at controlling the shadow force than Cloak and Tyrone had been. And that the shadow really overwhelmed him and it really pushed Roberto to the limit. So, you know, he's going to need help facing that fear. Um, and so he's going to need Xavier more than, more than either Tandy or, or Cloak will, or, or Ty will. And so they're, they're not going to go back to the mansion with, with the X-Men or with the New Mutants. Um, they turned down the invitation and Michael Bowen, Father Bowen, uh, kisses Tandy on the cheek and tells them not to be strangers. And they say their goodbyes and teleport away. They're gone. And both Xavier and Father Bowen, you know, talk about how, how much of an extraordinary night it was. And uh, Ileana, she says, 
hey, this wasn't so special. I mean, we, we, I mean, we new mutants, yawn, excuse me, met people and pull off capers like this, yawn, all the time. You want worlds or souls saved? We're the ones to do it. And she falls asleep uh, just in mid-sentence. Um, and that's, that's the end of the new portents, the new mutants part of this story. Epilogue. So we have this pimp that they met last issue. His name's Slick. He's was at the, tr- the bus terminal. He'd come up to Tandy. He wanted to have her basically work for him. And he has some other, he has two, another young couple, a little blonde girl and, uh, a young man. And he's giving them things. He's giving uh, them clothing and talking about cash and giving them whatever their heart's desires. And as he's going to give them drugs and basically, you know, just about to give them this, he's, you know, in the midst of giving them this stuff, cloak and dagger appear behind them, behind him. And uh, they basically tell him, hey, you're not doing this anymore. Get the hell out of here. Leave these kids alone. And he says, who's going to stop me, Blondie? And she says, she will. She throws two light daggers at him. They're not going to hurt him. Uh, they won't kill him, but uh, it, he'll wish that they had once Cloak is done with him. And Cloak confronts him and, and you know, just makes him grovel you know, envelops him and spits him out. Uh, and and they've basically saved these two kids from this, this pimp. And Tandy calls up her uncle and asks if he can help these two kids. And they, and, and Slick ends up passing out. Um, and Tandy says, you know, I think you, you got him to see you know, you scared him straight, essentially. That's kind of what their deal is. Cloak scares people straight, I guess. But uh, ultimately, she asks him, you know, you really think we're making a difference? She asks Cloak that, and he says, well, you know, the new mutants, Xavier, and you, you showed me that it doesn't matter whether we are, as long as we keep trying. It's important that we just keep trying and do our best to change things. We, we're not guaranteed outcomes, it's the effort that we put in is that's the point. And to me that reeks of uh just just things that I've struggled with in my life and things I'm working through constantly in my life. It's not the the outcome. Uh and I think a good example is starting this podcast. I don't know what it's gonna be. And it might be that I only have a handful of listeners. And at the end of the day it doesn't really matter because as long as I enjoy what I'm doing I am having fun doing it, and I am. I love this. It's so much fun. It's fun to talk about these issues. It's fun to have a reason to reread them and try to be more critical with them and, you know, to to really connect with the people that I've connected with through, you know, uh, social media over over the New Mutants. It's, it's freaking amazing. Uh, so it's not the outcome that matters. It's, it's the points along the way. It's, it's the journey and and the the effort I put forth that that's the key, and that's kind of what Tyrone's getting at here and that's that's the end of this episode. Cloak and dagger continue uh on on their their journey uh t- 
to, to as cloak and dagger. And to me, this, this issue, this three-issue arc, it feels like a relaunch for Cloak and Dagger, a retooling of Cloak and Dagger, um, a repurposing of Cloak and Dagger. Uh, so it's likely that something spun off of this. Uh, I know that there are two miniseries, and I believe a, a short-lived series, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that contained Cloak and Dagger. So that's what my, this is probably... Uh, one of those spun off of this, probably not the first, but maybe the second one or uh, the series. That's my guess. I don't know for certain. Uh, I haven't looked that deeply into Cloak and Dagger, so I might be wrong. But that's that's the story. Um, the the Newtons are saved. They work together, and Tyrone has a new purpose and new faith in himself that wasn't there before, thanks to his encounter with the Newtons and. Uh, his friends and yeah the next issue is legion so i am really excited to dive into this uh xavier's gonna meet his son and his son's uh got a lot of personalities in his head and so we're gonna be diving into that next next episode i cannot i can hardly wait um yeah so before we close this podcast, I do want to point out the last couple pages are a uh, Moira McTaggart note from Muir Island, and that's concerning David Charles Haller and uh, Charles Xavier's journal notes about Lila Cheney. Um, I love Lila Cheney, and I'm going to try to find both of these images and make sure they get up on that as mentioned. But the one that's uh, of most concern at this point is... Uh, Moira's notes about David Haller. And for anyone that isn't aware or hasn't heard from the start of this podcast, David Haller is Charles Xavier's son. He had her with Gabriel Haller. She is the Israeli ambassador to Great Britain. Um, David Haller is a mutant, and for the most of his life he was catatonic. He, When he awoke, he was autistic. And his powers are basically... Uh, telepathy, telekinetics, and pyro, pyro, um, uh fire. He has the ability to light things afire. Um, and Moira has recorded these things, has witnessed these things, and is unable to reach him. So she's had to call on Charles Xavier, but she's afraid that once he realizes Gabriel has lied to her, him, and Moira lied to him, he'll be too hurt, but she hopes that he'll still be willing to help. And the imagery here is stunning. And this this image, this page, it's perfect and um amazing. And the Legion arc is it's gonna be a playground for Zinkevich to really stretch his creative uh abilities, much like what we saw with the Demon Bear Saga. So uh, if you haven't had the chance to read and see these images, read these issues, I highly recommend uh, going out and and trying to track down Legion Saga, the Demon Bear Saga, uh, whether it's in a bound format, uh, a collector's edition, or uh, a trade paperback, or... Uh, something like that, or you find the issues, or going to Marvel Unlimited, it is 
a treat to see these things. So I, I highly recommend doing that. Um, anyways, like I said, I'm super excited and I can hardly wait to dive into Legion next week. Before I dive into the contact information for the podcast, um, I do have a question uh, from Alejandro Cancio, and he's asking about Leong Koiman and Naga Koiman, uh, the twins, uh, sisters, uh, sister and brother of um, Karma. And he he was wondering whatever happened to them, you know, if they if they were ever found rescued, and um, yeah, they're gonna come in and out of uh, New Mutants, they and X Men uh, story arcs for for some time to come. Uh, in one story arc, in New Mutants Annual Number Two, they become template, and later in the Beast Limited series. Uh, Naga becomes replica, rep, repli- yeah, replica, and Leon becomes nanite, and both of those transformations are reversed off-panel, um, uh, you know, outside of the con- outside of any uh, any issues, um, and then in Manifest Destiny number one, they're under the care of Shane Koiman, and with the perception that Kitty had sacrificed herself for humanity Shane's taken that really hard she is working with Emma who doesn't really have a lot of belief in Shane's ability and Shane's under all this stress her siblings tease her about Kitty's uh you know mock her to a certain degree about Kitty and uh Shane Quayman um possesses them both and event you know pretty much immediately lets them go and uh you know, realizes she's got some issues she's got to work through. So from the information I could find, that's the last known reference to those two characters. Um, but, you know, Manifest Destiny, this is this is a long time ago. You know, this is before the, the last relaunch, of, well, the, basically before Second Coming. So, you know, this is years ago now. Um, there may be other tie-ins to these characters i don't know uh but that's what i could find i used the resource i used and uh was uncannyxmen.net that was i found extremely helpful and be able to track these characters down and figure out where they had been uh but that's that's my last known uh contact uh of leong and naga in uh x-men lore um, if any of you listeners have any further information about that, you know, let me hit me up. Let me know. Um, also, you could uh, drop a drop a note on the Twitter or uh, Facebook. Anyways, uh, I hope that helps, Alejandro. Uh, thank you for the question. Uh, James explores the New Mutants is, as always, recorded in Iowa City, Iowa, and is produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are published every Wednesday and can be found wherever podcasts are available. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant via email at explorethenewmutants at gmail.com. Visual companions to the episodes are available on Facebook and Instagram by searching James Explores the New Mutants. Another great way to reach the podcast is via the messenger provided by Anchor. 
This messenger service allows you, the listeners, to record about a minute long uh, questions, comments that are then sent directly to me. I can then put them directly into the episode. So it's a really cool way for you all to become involved. So please, got any questions, shoot them my way. I'd love to try to answer them. Uh, And I will do the research as best as I can to answer those questions for you. Anyways, uh, next week, like I said, we dive into the Legion saga, so that's going to be exciting, and I cannot wait. Uh, Until then, keep reading those comics.